In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'd invite you to consider with me on this Reformation Sunday the mechanics of freedom. How do we know that we are free? As Americans, we know that we supposedly live in a free society, and that freedom has limits, of course. But we know this because we have the collective witness of our history. But more important, we have foundational documents that declare we are free, and we rightly take their word for it. The documents are authoritative. But the question of how you and I know that we are free from sin, death, and the devil, that is a different question entirely. And it's critical that we get the answer to this correct. Otherwise, the consequences are dire and potentially eternal. During the First World War, there was this French soldier by the name of Louis Delcourt. And at one point, the young man did not report back to his unit after his leave was up. And rather than own up to it and endure the potential humiliation that comes along with such a thing, he chose to desert his company. He stayed in the attic of his mother's home, where she fed him and took care of him for 21 years. In August of 1937, his mother died, and all of a sudden he was without the option of remaining undercover. By that point, he looked more like a cave creature than a human as he climbed down from his, his miserable, disgraceful dwelling. He walked outside and he had a plan in mind. What he wanted to do was turn himself in to the first police officer that he found. When he found an officer, he tried to offer his wrists to be cuffed and the officer looked back at him and he could only shake his head. Where have you been that you have not heard? And Delcourt says back to him, heard what? The officer replied that a law of amnesty for all deserters was passed years ago. An authoritative word of freedom had been issued on Delcourt's behalf, but he was tragically unaware. And he was going on living as if he were still in chains. How many people, even Christians, are living like Delcourt because they do not trust the authoritative, liberating word of Christ, but their faith is in something else. Their faith is in their own works, their merits, their decision for Christ, their political identity and their alignment with social causes, their nationality or skin color. What drives all of this, brothers and sisters, is that we want to be righteous. We want to, need to, be justified. And we all seek that righteousness, that justification in different ways. For some, we get righteousness points by owning our political enemies. For others, we get righteousness points by being the perfect Instagrammable family, posting all of your mountaintop experiences with your family on social media and getting all the clicks and the likes. Many in our culture are now being hoodwinked into seeking righteousness at the end of a scalpel by carving up their own bodies and by being liberated into who they truly are. But wherever it is that we seek righteousness outside of the blood of Christ will leave us like Louis Delcourt stuck in the attic. The attic is a convenient fiction to hide our shame and our humiliation, but 
You and I both know that this is a poor and twisted imitation of the freedom that Jesus Christ gives us through his liberating word. How do you know that you are free? It's through an, it's through an authoritative declaration that is independent of you, outside of you, that comes from the mouth of your Savior, who is the only one worthy to justify you, to declare you righteous in the sight of God. The righteousness points that you scratch and claw to collect, the ones that you hoard are not needed, and they're actually an offense to God. Jesus has infinite righteous points, righteousness points to bring to the table, and he is dishing them out like candy. In the gospel lesson that was read, Jesus is speaking with Jews who had this pretty tenuous relationship with them. The text actually says in verse 31 that some of these Jews believed in him. But by the end of their exchange, by the end of this conversation, Jesus would end up calling them sons of the devil. How did the conversation go that poorly? It all hinged on this question of where true freedom comes from. For Jesus, the answer was plain. So how did these guys, these Jews that he was talking to, how did they know that they were free? So what Jesus says is, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The Jews who heard his words that day did not like that someone would imply that they were still bound, that they were still living in the attic, like that they were living a sad parody of life out on the street where the police officers come and tell you the good news. They pushed back against Jesus because they were children of Abraham, after all. And their righteousness supply came from their own bloodline. But they failed to realize that the point of their bloodline was to get them to the blood of Jesus, who is the true son of Abraham. Jesus was undaunted. He doubled down. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. So all of us, right? Not just the people he's talking to. All of us. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Again, I challenge you to think about the mechanics of freedom. It is the son who sets you free. And he does it through his liberating word. Because it is he himself who speaks that word. And as you abide in that word of promise, you are free. Louis Delcourt wasted a whole lot of years without a word of promise, without a word of liberation that he should have been hearing. But you don't have to waste a second because the Holy Spirit brings you that sure and certain authoritative word to you. He brings it to you every time you use the means of grace the word and the sacraments. It is his strong word that speaks us righteous, as we'll sing here in just a moment. What does this have to do with the Reformation? By the 1500s, when Luther confessed his doctrine of justification by faith alone, the freedom of the gospel had all been but obscured by other sources of freedom propped up by the church. It didn't happen overnight. It was hundreds and hundreds of years of slow doctrinal development and not the good kind. Let me give you a quick history lesson, beginning with St. Augustine. 
in the fourth century. Now, far be it from me to critique one of the most important theologians in the Western church. That's not what this is about. But he was off just a hair in his doctrine of justification. All right? And you know that if you travel in one direction, you're maybe going in the same direction, generally speaking, but if you're off by just a hair, what happens whenever you get somewhere? You're way off. And that's what happened here. For Augustine, justification was not something that was complete at the beginning of the Christian life. So it went something like this. God delivers his grace and converts an individual. All good there. But then as the Christian receives more grace from God, he begins to to then cooperate with God in that ongoing justification until he receives final justification at the end of the Christian life. It's this continual upward progression so that that by the time you reach the end, you can almost say that you've earned the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't the absolute worst understanding of salvation. And if you were on a deserted island and all you had was Augustine's view, you'd be okay. The problem, as we've already said, is that he was off by just a hair. So that by the time a guy by the name of Thomas Aquinas got a hold of it in the 13th century, it went even further. Aquinas, again, properly began by saying that salvation was God's work. So props for that to Aquinas. But then, following that initial grace of baptism, the believer was continually infused with grace, like gas in your tank, so that you could acquire more righteousness and do more good works. Now, we can appreciate Aquinas for so many contributions to philosophy and even to some areas of theology. And I, Again, I think that if you were on a, desert, a deserted island and all you had to go on was Aquinas, you'd, I'd like to think you'd be okay. He does try to keep the focus on God's own work, at least in the beginning. But all of those seeds that were sown bore some bitter fruit in Luther's day. Because by the time we get to the 16th century, the teaching on justification that liberating word of Christ that we've heard in John's gospel today had become unrecognizable. Because here's what the highbrow theologians of the day were saying. These guys were called the medieval scholastics and they had gotten a hold of Augustine and Aquinas and they put their own spin on it. For them, salvation went something like this. It went, God will not deny his grace to those who have tried their best. God will not deny his grace to those who have tried their best. Hang on a second. I thought that it was the son who sets you free. You're telling me I have to try my best first? How will I know when I've done all I could? I'm no longer bound by the word of Christ and what he says about me. I'm now bound by the prospect of trying my best. So you can guess the the effects that this type of teaching had on Christian piety in Luther's day. The people needed those righteousness points and the church was all too willing to dish them out. But it wasn't through the liberating word of Christ. It wasn't through the word in the sacraments. It was in things like indulgences. It was in things like making pilgrimages, clutching holy doodads, doing good works to appease God's wrath. Rather than freeing the burdened consciences of the people through those authoritative promises of Christ, the church was largely keeping people in the attic. 
Now, make no mistake, Luther's legacy was not dunking on the papists. His legacy was about shining the spotlight back on the liberating word that it is in Christ and what he says about you that you know that you are free. This is what he meant by justification by faith alone, through grace alone. That the freedom that you possess really doesn't have anything to do with you at all. It's something that was won for you. It was something, it's something that occurred outside of you and is independent of you. And Jesus didn't have to check with you to make sure it was okay. It's the freedom that came through his perfect life, his atoning death, and his his hell-defeating resurrection. It's the freedom that he gives to you in the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, the freedom that he bids you to enjoy as you abide in his word. You are not a slave. The slave can be sold from house to house. You do not have to live in the attic, but you are a son. You are a daughter. And because you are God's child, you will abide in his house forever. This legacy of the Reformation is just as important today as it ever was because people are still collecting righteousness points. It's the same as it's ever been since the fall of Adam. We seek righteousness in something outside of the blood of Christ, and it doesn't go well for us. And in our day, people aren't just seeking righteousness in the Pope's treasury of merit. It's in everything else. And everything else can only deliver us empty promises as well. But I ask you again, how do you know that you're free? You know, because the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the eternal word of God made flesh, your crucified and risen Lord has declared it so. And his declaration is backed by his own blood. You will lay your head on your pillow tonight and fall asleep in peace, not in slavery to sin, but in the freedom of the Son who speaks you righteous. What about good works? Aren't Christians supposed to do good works? Well, now that you are free, the good works that you do are truly good because you're not using your neighbor to score righteousness points. You're actually serving them because God has set you free to do so. Isn't that great? You are free. He has brought you that liberating word in holy baptism. He spoke it to you in the absolution today through Pastor Reedy. He brings it to you in his true body and blood at his altar. And he has spoken it to you here and now in his preaching. Your pastors are the police officers in the street who get to tell you over and over again, not just once, but all the time, the incredible news that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And that's for you. You're free from sin. You're free from death. You are free from the devil. Enjoy the freedom. Amen.